Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. Uh, today, we have something a little different again. Um, about a week ago, assuming you're listening to this just as the podcast comes out, um, I was in Las Vegas for a conference called World Hosting Days, um, which was a, a fun conference of obviously hosting companies and companies related to uh, providing internet service. Um, and I was there to, to give a keynote uh, actually about inter, uh, intermediary liability protections. Um, but this is not that. Um, uh, while I was there, um, the uh, moderator or MC of the overall event uh, happened to be Mike Godwin, um, who some of you probably know. Uh, he was an early lawyer at EFF, and he was the lawyer for Wikimedia Foundation for many years. Um, and also, uh, most prominently, he coined uh, Godwin's Law, uh, the idea that uh, well, you should know, and if you don't, actually, we'll, we'll get to it in the podcast. So since we were both there in Las Vegas, the organizers of the event uh, thought it would be fun to have uh, Mike Godwin and me, Mike Masnick, uh, on stage uh, comparing the two memes that we each had created, him, Godwin's Law, and me, the Streisand Effect. Um, so we had a fun conversation that, that basically just uh, discusses those two uh, memes and kind of how they grew and how they've changed over time and sort of what it means. And so it was a really fun discussion and the world hosting days people um, were happy to have us turn it into a podcast and I thought it would be fun for, for you guys to listen to. So that's what we have here. Um, and, um, you know, if if it if anything sounds strange or funny, it's just because we were recording live on a, on a stage. But it was a fun discussion. It's pretty quick, about 25 minutes. And um, that'll be this week's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Bye. The world is increasingly technological. So we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates and paint and trolls. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lives. What we did, we agreed last night that because we often, I often get asked to talk about Godwin's Law and Mike Masnick often gets talked, asked to talk about the Streisand effect, that we would each talk about the other person's subject. So, so, so we're going to, I think we'll have a seat here. Yeah. So, 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 Mike. Uh, well, I, I actually. Before you want to introduce yourself? Well, yeah. Well, I actually want to make a correction. Yeah. Which is, you introduced me as a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I. I, I occasionally he, play one on the internet. He is an internet lawyer. But, <laughs> well, no, don't say that. <laughs> uh, but I am not a lawyer. That's that's sort of the important uh, thing. I don't want to misrepresent uh, the legal profession. But you've actually corrected my legal analysis <laughs> one or tw once or twice. So I thought you were a lawyer. All right. Uh, that, thank you for correcting that. No problem. Uh, which I think means I'm the only lawyer here. I could be the I'm the only lawyer here. <laughs> certainly this morning. Um, the uh, but but let me let me just start and say, uh, Mike uh, Mastic, you you've heard about this Godwin's Law thing. Can you tell us sure. a little bit and, about and Godwin's I, I'll Law? And I'll also say to the audience, in preparation for this, I did absolutely no research, uh, <laughs> other than what I what I've remembered uh, from from many years of 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 
following what Mike has done and, and working with Mike and, and knowing about Godwin's Law from before we even met. Um, so Godwin's Law, uh, for those who don't know it, and in my description, and feel free to correct me, um, was a um, slightly tongue-in-cheek, facetious law slash meme that Mike came up with um, many years ago in sort of pre-internet times. Um, well, pre-my internet. Pre-your pre so internet, pre-web, certainly pre-web times, um, to express something that he noticed was happening uh, in various forums online, which is that if, if some of you haven't noticed or haven't spent much time online, which is probably unlikely given this crowd, um, when a conversation happens online where people get emotional and heated, um, the conversation sometimes, just sometimes, will sort of spiral out of control a little bit. And, and Mike very astutely noticed a, at least somewhat disturbing pattern uh, and decided to, to note a law, which was effectively, and, and again, feel free to correct me if I don't get this quite right, as a conversation on the internet or, you know, a, a computer network, since it was sort of pre-internet when you first created it, continues and gets, lar you know, larger and longer, the uh, probability that someone will compare something or someone in the conversation to Hitler and or the Nazis uh, rapidly approaches one. So, as it happens, you are more and more likely to have someone get angry enough and emotional enough to call the person that they're arguing with or the person that they're defending either the equivalent of Hitler or, or the Nazis. Is that a, yeah, a, a that's, a, that's a pretty good summary. There's a Wikipedia entry on it, uh, which I, I did not write, but which seems to be pretty accurate, uh, which actually quotes, I said, I, I said the probability approaches one. Why didn't I say the probability approaches 100%, which is a little more Englishy? And the answer is, uh, I wanted it to sound more scientific. Right. Uh, uh, but it's not science. It's not actually uh, a scientific prediction. Uh, it's meant to sound like science. And the idea here was that if people realized that they were just falling into an easy rut or to an easy, uh, cheap, glib comparison uh, to the Holocaust or the Nazis, uh, then, then something had gone wrong, and, and, and my goal was to make people be more self-aware that they were escalating comparisons and using maybe inappropriate uh, historical, excessive, uh, hyperbolic tropes to uh, insult the person who disagreed with them, you know, about whether, you know, John Kerry was right or the Swift voters were right or whatever. And, and, and I think it's actually important to note that in a very cool way, effectively, I think, Godwin's Law is somewhat self-correcting. The, the, the fact that as more people sort of know about it and learn about it, you have sort of two things happen. One is that they avoid making those sort of glib historical comparisons, um, which, you know, tend to really derail, generally already, you know, off-rails conversations, um, but they, they begin to think about it more and, and recognize it. But the second thing is that you have other people who, uh, who know about Godwin's Law and sort of police it. So as soon as someone now makes a reference to, you know, a, a sort of Holocaust or, or Nazi reference in an online conversation where it's inappropriate, um, you know, people will immediately point out Godwin's Law and it sort of is a way of kind of diffusing that line of, of discussion and generally keeps conversations a little bit more in line, at least in my experience. Well, that was the goal. I mean, actually, the goal was just to make people more self-aware. Uh, certainly, if you are talking about the history of the Third Reich, 
uh, you get to bring up Hitler or Nazis. <laughs> right. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. And uh, you, really, you should bring them up because it's hard to talk about <laughs> right. the Third Reich without doing that. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, I think, you know, more recently, uh, uh, unpleasantness in Charlottesville, uh, you, you saw, there were people actually using uh, or using a little bit of, of Nazi symbology, and it was appropriate to call those people Nazis. They're self-identifying as, as white nationalists, a lot of them were, and it's appropriate to be appropriately critical of, of, of uh, that kind of excess. And nothing, since I'm a free speech advocate, and, and Mike is a free speech advocate, we support your right to make any comparison you want. Uh, but at the same time, because we're free speech advocates, we would like people to think a little more carefully about the kinds of things that they say online. Uh, and ideally, that's self-policing. But I want to, at this point, bring up uh, Mike's contribution uh, to this, Mike Massick's contribution to, the, to uh, kind of the self-policing aspect. <laughs> of uh, internet conversations, and that's that uh, all of us, you know, we've lived through this transition to an internet-connected culture, and one of the things that we encounter, especially if you are an intermediary or a service provider of any sort, one of the things that you encounter is sometimes a business or an individual will see some, some content online that they don't like and they would like to threaten, if they have money, they would like to threaten you with legal action. And they may know that one of your, down, you know, one of your subscribers is actually the originator of the content they object to. Uh, and they'll want to find someone to sue, to basically shut down the content. But what, what Mike has shared is that is a, is a, which he named, and which I'll name it in a minute, but it's the Streisand effect. What Mike shared is that if you try to suppress the information that you don't want to see on the internet, you may find that you uh, encounter a backlash, that people in the perversity of human nature will take what it is that you object to, uh, will take what it is that they object to, pardon me, let me just, <laughs> they'll take what it is that you object to, and they'll actually spread it around more. And the example uh, was that, that, that inspired the Streisand effect was this. Uh, a guy was taking in a helicopter photographs all along the Pacific coast to show soil erosion. Uh, Barbara Streisand's lawyers realized that some of the photos might include her palatial Barbara Streisand retreat on the Pacific coast and tried to and sent a cease and desist letter uh, and actually sued the photographer uh, to try to suppress that photograph. They found out that it wasn't easily seen. Not many people had seen the photograph. But of course, once the news coverage about the photograph emerged, a lot of people saw the photograph. So it had just exactly the opposite effect that Ms. Streisand and her lawyers wanted to have. And that, is that a pretty good summary yeah, of the Streisand Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, and just to, to put it in perspective and kind of the, the you know, the, there were sort of thousands of these photographs and it was the early 2000s when this happened and, and, you know, there wasn't sort of a good interface to even see them. So it was actually very difficult to see them and it kind of came out as part of the, the lawsuit that, I forget the exact number, but, but it was single digit number of people had seen the photograph prior to the lawsuit being filed. I think it was eight people, and if I remember correctly, two of them were Barbara Streisand's lawyers. Um, so effectively, six people outside of her lawyers had probably seen this picture beforehand. The lawsuit 
you know, then they, they sued him. I believe the number was for $50 million. Um, and the Associated Press reported on it. And the day that the Associated Press report came out, I believe like 700,000 people went and looked at that photograph. So if her goal was I, to... I was one of the 700,000. <laughs> so was I. If, if, if her goal was to suppress the idea that you could find this, photo, this you know, aerial photograph from a helicopter of her estate among the thousands of photographs of the California coast, uh, that failed in, in, a, in a fairly uh, spectacular manner. Yeah, you have to wonder about what the correspondence between Barbara <laughs> Streisand and her lawyers looked like after uh, massive, hundreds of thousands of more people saw the photograph as a result of, uh, I mean, let's say, I don't know if they're still her lawyers, uh, but I would say there is at least some chance that she reviewed her relationship with those lawyers uh, after this happened. And uh, one of the things I think that, you know, we've, we've encountered uh, uh, over the course of the years that I developed Godwin's Law and that, and that Mike developed uh, the Streisand effect, or named the Streisand effect, we get asked a lot about this very these very phenomena. And maybe you want to talk a little bit about being a witness or... Yeah, I mean, in a variety of different ways, suddenly, like... Um, you know, when, when this kind of thing happens, and, and, you know, part of the reason why I called it an effect is that we, we were seeing it over and over again. Um, and, and honestly, you know, sort of part of the, and, and I named it as a joke, and I never quite thought it would take off, especially to the level that it has taken off. Um, and, but part of, part of the goal with that, uh, of it was, was basically to act as a warning, a sort of similar self-policing kind of thing. The more people who are sort of aware of that, um, you know, maybe, maybe lawyers would think twice um, you know, and, and I think sort of what, at least my sense is what happened was historically lawyers knew that if you sent a really sort of scary sounding letter that had lots of legalese and, and threats, even if there was no legal basis for it, a lot of people would just like freak out and take down content. But, but the internet sort of made it much easier to then promote the fact that somebody was threatening you and therefore drive so much more attention to it. And I sort of wanted to reinforce the point, especially to lawyers, um, that like maybe that's not the best uh, decision because it may backfire in a, in, a, in a really big way. And then, you know, now, so like anytime this kind of thing happens where people try and suppress information, uh, you know, at, at one point, probably about six or seven years ago, there was an article, and I forget where it was, that declared that, you know, the Streisand effect, everyone knew it now, and therefore there were no more sort of, you know, bogus takedowns being issued. That's so not true. <laughs> which, is, which is not true because I, and I think I linked to that article, uh, you know, the following week, with the story of a, another, you know, ridiculous threat letter trying to suppress certain information that was suddenly getting it a lot more attention. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've sort of become this accidental expert on, on the failure to suppress information. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, publishing the threat letters? You know, one of the wonders of the internet is the ability that you can then take these things and, and actually publicize the threats and, and, and get more attention for it. And, and you know, and I, I think to some extent, you know, with, with Certainly with some lawyers, it, it has helped, and some companies and some individuals um, who get upset about content online, they actually do begin to think twice, and you have some lawyers who are very um, knowledgeable about this stuff and certainly recommend that, that clients don't, with the recognition that, you know, if, you're, if you send a, a ridiculous threat, that you're going to get publicity for sending a ridiculous threat, and it's going to look very bad. Uh, right, so I have, I have two, uh, two very brief uh, examples of that. One is that in 2010, I was the general counsel for uh, Wikimedia Foundation, which is to say I was the lawyer for Wikipedia, 
And the FBI sent a letter <laughs> demanding that we uh, remove uh, the FBI seal from the Wikipedia article on the FBI. And I knew, uh, as a lawyer, that the seal is not intellectual property that's protected, but there is a statute about using it uh, fraudulently. Uh, but they tried to invoke that statute. But Wikipedia wasn't trying to defraud anyone. It was just a general information article about the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation. And one thing I also knew was that government seals are not protected as intellectual property. So I knew that there was a, a kind of a bogusness about the FBI letter. So what I did, of course, is I responded uh, with a letter in which I made fun of the FBI, which I don't advise anyone else to do that. <laughs> uh, it was a very good letter. It, it, I don't, I, you know, it's not something that I would recommend as your first line of defense, but, but, but uh, it I It was really, warranted. But I, I knew that, the, but I knew because of, of uh, uh, the Streisand effect, I knew that by publishing the letter and, pu and making them look bad, uh, I would increase the number of people who looked at the FBI seal. The New York Times reproduced the FBI seal uh, for that when they uh, wrote about that story. Uh, I knew that uh, the FBI seal was going to be all over the place, which it was. So they duplicated it. All the news uh, reports duplicated it. And I also knew that other people would duplicate it because I made fun of the FBI. Uh, and I cleared this with my boss. I mean, it was very, very due, due diligent and responsible. The second thing, so that was one example of using the Streisand effect. And the second thing was... Uh, at various times, as Wikipedia's lawyer, I had to uh, protect Wikipedia's... It's up. It's up. It seems to be working. I had to uh, protect Wikipedia's uh, registered trademarks. And I knew that there was... I knew that when I sent a lawyer letter to the people who were, uh, at least we thought, infringers of the Wikipedia registered trademarks, I wrote the nicest, sweetest, <laughs> most conciliatory, I'm so sorry that we have to ask you to do this letter that uh, because we, I knew that there was a really good chance that the, my demand letter was going to be published. Yeah. And so the letter was deliberately nice and polite and gentle so that we did not look bad or heavy-handed, even though we had to ask them to not infringe. And, and, and I think, yeah, there's been an increase in, in that kind of approach, which I think, you know, it's just a better approach in general. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, sort of a standard thing, start out being nice. But again, it was sort of this historical thing where I think a lot of lawyers, you went to law school, I didn't, but a lot of lawyers seem to have learned at some point in their career that you start with the most extreme antagonistic position in order to sort of stake out your territory. And that led to the situation where they would, you know, demand uh, takedowns and, and put in all sorts of ridiculous threats. Yeah, you know, they would demand that you promise that your unborn grandchildren <laughs> would never infringe either. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculously overreaching. Yeah. Uh, so you may want to talk about, I, I think one thing that we want to talk about, uh, you know, in the, in the five or four and a half minutes that we have left is uh, the fact that we came up with these ideas uh, independently, Godwin's Law and the Streisand Effect, but we both kind of knew that they were successes because other people started quoting them. We didn't have to step in yeah. and say, this is the Streisand effect, or this is an example of Godwin's Law. Other people, and I mostly don't ever say it now. Yeah, I, I, almost, I almost never use it. Every once in a while, like if it really calls for it, I'll mention it. But you know, other people sort of you know, completely ran with, with the Streisand effect in my case. I, you know, I, I named it as a joke. 
uh, and mentioned it a few times at the beginning and then sort of forgot about it. And then suddenly other people started doing it. Somebody registered the streisandeffect.com. It's not me. I don't know who has it. And they, they, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't looked in a really long time. But they used to catalog all these examples of it. Um, I, I had nothing to do with it. But, but you know, what, what happened in my case, and I'll let Mike talk about what happened in his case, was you know, a couple of years after I first called it that and had sort of you know, forgotten about it, suddenly there was a Forbes article that took it and, and, you know, had this whole article about the Streisand effect and, and how important it was to understand, you know, why it's damaging to try and take down information that shouldn't be taken down. Um, and then suddenly it was like a big deal and I was named in the article and then I got requests for, I, I was on uh, uh, NPR. NPR, All Things Considered, because there was a, an example of an attempted takedown and they wanted me to talk about the Streisand effect. And, and suddenly it became this thing where like the media picked up on it through, you know, no, no effort of my own uh, and, and suddenly it became a thing. Um, and, and thankfully, in my, my case, <laughs> to some extent, uh, you know, I named it the Streisand Effect. I didn't name it after me. You have a slightly different story. So, so it's not fully tied to me. And, and there are times, you know, people I've known for years will suddenly find out that, that I, you know, I originally coined the Streisand Effect. And they'll be like, wait a second, I've known you for years. I never knew that this, this was you. Um, and so it's, for, in my case, it's, you know, thankfully, sort of taken on a life of its own. And it's kind of well, cool I, to watch and see it. That's right. But in, in another way, in a sense, you're uh, uh, free riding on Barbara Streisand's <laughs> trademark. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> uh, you know, the, because... The lawyer, as a lawyer, are you sure you should be saying things like that? <laughs> no, I can, I can say it. Oh, wait, we're not going to get you sued. I think, I, think, I, think, I think the moment in which Barbara Streisand was ever going to sue you has passed. <laughs> yeah, there are statute of limitations uh, issues there. And also, I'm not too worried about Hitler suing me. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I, I, feel that, I feel that Hitler's trademark has probably uh, lapsed. Uh, I, I know that I've had, uh, we've both had the experience of having mainstream media, you know, print media or, or broadcast media pick up uh, uh, our stories about how we've had these self-propagating ideas on the internet. Uh, and then I had an interview a few years ago where, uh, I guess it was New York Magazine, said, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, your obituary is going to have uh, Godwin's Law in the first line. It's going to mention your hit comparison to Hitler, comparisons to Hitler and the Nazis in the first line of your obituary. And my first reaction was, isn't it a little soon to ask me about what I think my obituary is going to look like? I said, I'm still alive, uh, and I am still working, and I plan to do some more work. So I, and I told him, I said, I think if I work very hard, I might be able to push it down into the second line. Uh, if I do a few more things, maybe I'll be lucky enough to push it down into the second so, line. So I know we're running out of time. I want to ask you a question. This, sort of, this can be kind of a final question, I guess, which is, do you think in the, in the you know, few decades since you first coined it and since Godwin's Law became so popular and so well-known that, that the law still holds? Do you think the fact that the law is out there and it's become knowledgeable that, and I talked about how it was self-correcting earlier, but do you actually think that, that, that the law is, is still valid? Or do you need to, to do an amendment? <laughs> right. Well, that's a, that's a great question, and I get that question all the time. And, and so a lot of people say, well, can't you repeal Godwin's <laughs> law, or can't you suspend Godwin's law? And my answer, because it's, remember, it's a pseudo-scientific law, is that it's not that kind of law. <laughs> it's not a legal, it's, it's, it's more like the, the second law of thermodynamics. It, it's in an, I, at least I pretend that it's an inevitable thing. But, 
But what I do also is point out, some people think that the conversation is over when Hitler or Nazi comparisons come up. Sometimes it's not over. Sometimes, of course, it is relevant to bring up those comparisons. And one of the things that I've said again and again is if, if particular political dialogues uh, in, in the world that we live in now become heated and we see those comparisons, that's confirmation of Godwin's law because we've been now on the internet for 25 or more years uh, and so, of course, we're seeing as more and more people get online, we see their tendency towards rhetorical excess. And, the, uh, and Godwin's Law, I think, still works to make people more thoughtful about that terrible period in our history and those terrible people and the terrible things that happened so that when you want to compare someone you disagree with to Hitler or to Nazis, except for maybe uh, grammar Nazis or the soup Nazi, <laughs> Uh, that, you, 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 that you at least think twice. And if you think twice, then I think the law still works. Great. Speaker. There's a question? Somebody oh, said there's, there's a question. question. So ask a question. I want to ask, you mentioned the Streisand effect in Godwin's law. Right. How do you think that changes in today's uh, feudal internet, where you have, instead of this big, federated, open, interconnected thing, uh -huh. you have a handful of large silos that are very controlled, very centralized. Do you think the Streisand effect especially does it survive? Sure. So, so, so the, let me just repeat the question. Yeah, it's about it, large, it's about siloed uh, uh, information resources. You know, the internet, of course, is multi, you know, stretches across and interconnects a whole bunch of different uh, uh, resources. So uh, the, uh, within, an e within a more siloed ecosystem, does the Streisand effect hold? Right. So the, the, the question is basically, does, does the Streisand effect hold in an age of Facebook, right? I mean, that's, I guess, the, sum, the summary of, of the question. Um, I think it still does. Um, and, and we certainly see, you know, there are some different aspects to it that, that become trickier because, um, you know, as opposed to when, when I sort of first coined it, you know, uh, takedowns were sort of more general. You would sort of send this, this nasty note and you were sort of arguing for, um, you know, usually it was directly to the person who had made the speech. Um, you know, over time it certainly has in increasingly be been targeting intermediaries, hosting companies, service providers, whoever it might be. Um, this is some of what I'll be talking about later in the keynote. Um, and, and so now you have a situation where you have like Facebook, which is like this kind of all-seeing God over, you know, anything that is, that, that is in its content. And so it will, you know, suppress and take down information, all these platforms, um, for, for various reasons, some of which are, are perfectly legitimate. But, but I think on the whole, it still holds. And, and what you see is, while you do have those silos, you do also have enough other silos that, you know, if, if somebody gets content that shouldn't have been taken down from Facebook, for example, um, that it begins to pop up on Twitter and, right. and on other platforms. And so people, or Medium, or you know, di different platforms that allow people to talk to and point back to the original platform and say, why did you take this content down? It, it, it should have remained up. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that. I mean, you, you right. know. Right, stuff migrates from silo to silo, and, you know, because people use more than one service. But I will also point out that Godwin's Law actually originated in the BBS world of the 1980s. And essentially, all of those systems were siloed. CompuServe was siloed, MCI Mail was siloed, uh, AOL, you know, for a while was siloed, and, and yet stuff migrated in and out. And uh, of, so I, I think that the Godwin's Law applicability uh, is, is there, and, we, and the way it functions it does not require it to be spread on the Internet. So I think that's a good point for us to uh, stop. I think uh, we're going to bring our next... Uh, uh, speaker on. To grab a shovel and pick up the tap. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. To grab a shovel and pick up the tap.
no cap.